the reading today can be found in the Old Testament on page 566, and it's from Psalm 40, beginning at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from Romans 12, verses 1 to 10, and can be found on page 1139 of the Church Bibles. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another about above yourselves. This is the word of the Lord. So loving God, thank you for your word to us this morning. May you uh, crack open those places in us uh, that need to be softened to hear what your word is saying to us this morning. And may you build us up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to do a short series, um, which is interrupted next week, but uh, begins today um, on mind, body, spirit. So today we're thinking about mind and then in two weeks' time, body, and then spirit. And just looking a little bit at what scripture and the Christian tradition and faith says about these aspects of what it means to be human and how that speaks into what our experience of being human is today, uh, especially within um, our Christian discipleship. So I'm going to talk a little bit today. Um, It it might stretch us a little bit 
Um, and some of, some of it is a sort of generalized look um, at the whole aspect of what it means to be human, per, to have personhood. Um, so, uh, so, so, you know, if you need to wake up, move yourselves around, you know, keep your brain active um, in order to try and sort of take in uh, some of uh, what God is saying to you this morning uh, through this fascinating um, concept of what it means to be human and what the mind has to do with that. So I guess importantly, first of all, I want to say that the Bible has a breadth, a sort of developmental uh, process over the whole story about what it means to be human and how the human person is made up. Um, today, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, today in um, contemporary society, we're quite, in Western, in fact, in Western contemporary society, I should say, we're used to thinking of ourselves, aren't we, in quite compartmentalized ways. That's part of how we understand ourselves, even by saying mind, body, spirit. That's what we're doing. And when we think about uh, where certain aspects of our humanity are placed in our body, you know, we think about our feelings being associated with our heart um, and our thinking or our rational processes being situated in our brain. That seems obvious to us. These are ways of talking about the whole human person, which are not a given, actually. They have developed over time and they have been different at different times and in different cultures and are still today different in different cultures, particularly between the Western world and the Eastern cultures. And we can read about some of this development uh, if we read the whole story of Scripture. So in the ancient Near East, for example, where the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, the Old Testament part of the Bible, is set, the idea, for example, of the body and the soul being two separate entities would have been unimaginable. They just wouldn't have thought of the human person like that. Whereas today, we often talk about ourselves in that way. For the people of God in the ancient times, and when you're reading their scriptures, it's good to understand that they would have understood themselves in a much more holistic and connected way. They would have articulated those connections between the physical and the emotional and the spiritual aspects of personhood. Uh, and if you look at the Psalms, for example, that's a, a place in scripture which is full of those types of connections. These are often things that when we read them, we kind of know, you know, in, a, in the hymn book of the people of God thousands of years ago are things that we connect with today. So, for example, we know that in our physical bodies, if we lift our head up, you know, if we're standing like this and we're standing like, we say, no, I'm going to stand like this. I'm going to lift my head up. I'm going to lift my eyes up. Emotionally, we feel better. We feel stronger. 
Often, if our emotions are feeling um, upset um, in some way, then physically our body droops. And if we then choose to lift our head up, it can have an effect. Chemical pathways are uh, initiated to stimulate things in our emotions. These things are connected, and the people of the ancient times had a way of articulating that, not in the same way that we might today, but it was there. You know, raising our eyes. So in the Psalms, there's lots of, and we sing it sometime, you know, lift your eyes up, raising your head, raising your eyes to God. Where does my help come from? Um, Raising our eyes to God can quite literally lift our spirits. Um, For the people of these ancient times, the situation in the body of the feelings um, would have been in the stomach rather than the heart. That's where they kind of felt. And we've got that in our language today sometimes, don't we? If we say we've had a gut feeling. Um, But more often than not, when we talk about our feelings, it is our heart which is joyful or sore or broken. And so then as time went on and the influence of the Greeks and the Greek culture came into uh, the story of the people of God uh, in Jesus' time, the compartmentalization of the human person began to become our predominant story. Uh, Particularly, and you'll read this you know, particularly through Gospels like John's Gospel, um, particularly the idea that the soul was separate in some way or distinct from the body. And in fact, you know, in, in Grecian thinking or Greek thinking, um, you know, the, the soul was good and the body was bad. And there was that idea that we should be escaping from the physical Uh, The spirit was representative of the divine and the body of something else. Um, And the Christian thinking as part of that time would have been influenced by this in the way they represented God and and humanity to one another. Um, Although there was still a very strong uh, teaching uh, that was countercultural to that idea that the body was bad. So there was still that idea, you know, because we have a, a belief in a bodily resurrection. You know, Paul talks quite a lot about um, the body uh, being something which will be redeemed alongside, you know, as part of the whole human person. But we recognize that we've uh, got some of these thoughts that have translated through history to our time when we think about body and soul it's where this picture um, of you know when we die this kind of floaty spirit you know goes up to the clouds and sort of hangs around Uh, that's not a christian idea of heaven and death those are more akin to ancient greek ideas and then as time went on in the West, uh, we took these ideas from the Greeks and, uh, 
And in particular, in the, in the Middle Ages and Christian thinking, you know, the predominant idea of what a human being is, is that we are made in the image of God in Christian thinking. But that began to be, well, what's it mean to be made in the image of God? And the predominant idea was that we could think. We could be rational. That was what it meant to be, they said, for us to be made in the image of God. And in the West, later on, we had the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period. And this had a serious effect on how we understood ourselves. And so as it moved along, the mind became almost entirely where people thought that a person exists. You know, and the famous philosopher Descartes says... I think, therefore I am. Not, I feel, therefore I am. Or just, I am, therefore I am. But I think, therefore I am. A statement that has resonated throughout history, that our value and our being is entirely situated in the mind. And then as we move on a bit past that post-Enlightenment era into an era called modernism, there was this idea, really from that idea that the mind was the thing that gave most value to a human being, um, that empirical facts are, are the things that count. And that means things that are observable, things that are able to be proved through experiment, data, evidence, rational logic, are, were seen as the only things rather than a picture of the whole. These were the only things really with value. There was a loss of value experienced about things like intuition and feelings and anything that was deemed to be sort of superstition or unprovable in an empirical way. And so it's easy to see where in the Western uh, civilizations we have the rise and the fall of religion. And wisdom, so that great idea amongst Christians of the thing which we must seek after, in this era began to be situated only in empirical data. Wisdom is replaced by rational logic. And rational logic is assumed to be the definition, the ability to have rational logic is assumed to be the definition of a human person. The value of the human person is found in the mind and therefore a short jump to saying the better the mind the more valuable the person and this has been a lot of the message that as human beings living in the 20th and 21st centuries we have imbibed and it's problematic I hope you can see that it isn't Christian. It doesn't represent the whole 
wealth of Christian thinking and wisdom on what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. Because that is our our sort of primary definition as Christians of what it means to be human. This idea of being made in the image of God. And it's this kind of thinking, the idea that the mind is almost deified, um, almost that, you know, it's the, it's the main thing uh, that gives value to, to a human person. That's what has led, really, to societies um, where people with either mental health issues or um, mental developmental uh, issues or disabilities Um, Which means, actually, uh, a significant proportion of our societies, so one in four people will experience a mental health issue um, in their lifetime in the UK. So a significant proportion of us together uh, will have or will do, or will certainly know people who we're close to, friends or family. We have 1.5 million people in the UK who have a developmental disability of some kind. This kind of thinking about the mind has led to people who have those experiences feeling excluded or in some way that their human lives are less important than so-called normal human life. I want us to watch a video now. Um, it's, uh, it's a man talking, an insight from a man called Jean Vanier, um, who some of you might have heard of before. He's a Swiss-Canadian. He's lived all over the world in different places. And in the 60s, when he was in his 30s, um, he was called, very strong calling from God, uh, to found a community for people with developmental disabilities. And the community was called L'Arche. It was set up in France. L'Arche means the Ark. And L'Arche communities have now been set up in 35 different countries, and there are 147 of these communities over the world. And I think Jean Vanier is a very insightful and wise person um, and has some great things to teach us, I think, about what it means um, to be human. So I'm going to ask Barbara to show us this video now. Every time I see a man or woman with a severe mental handicap, the incredible cry that is coming from them, what I would, what I would call the primal cry, which is, do you love me? It's a very deep cry. And you find with people with mental handicaps, this is their, do you love me? Why have I been abandoned, or has my life any value? Somewhere this cry of, do you want to be my friend, uh, touched me. I began visiting asylums, hospitals, different institutions, families, and I discovered an immense world of pain, which I had never, never could have imagined. So I discovered all this world which I hadn't even imagined existed. And it seemed very clear to me that 
that Jesus was asking me just to take one or two men and to start living together. So I was able to buy a small broken down house and I welcomed two men, Raphael and Philippe, from an institution. Raphael had had a meningitis. He couldn't walk very well. He couldn't speak very well. Uh, Philippe had had an encephalitis, one arm paralyzed, one leg paralyzed, living in a world of dream, but also with quite a severe mental handicap. We began to, to live together. And I did the cooking, so we didn't eat very well. We uh, did everything together. We cooked. We uh, worked in the garden together. We fought together. We prayed together. We forgave each other. And so a whole sort of journey began. Little by little I began, you see, I began by thinking that I could do good for them. <laughs> but then as the days and then the months moved on, I began to discover what they were doing for me, transforming me, changing me. I thought I was going to teach them something and suddenly I was discovering that they were teaching me quite a bit. When Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the Father, or the one who sent me. And when Jesus says that I was in prison and you visited me, I was sick and you visited me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, I was strange, I was different, and you, you welcomed me. Well, it's really true. And uh, I never knew this. I mean, I'd read it in the Gospels, but I, I didn't know what it meant. And I must say that there is what I've learned from people like Eric, that what is important in human relationships is discovered that God has led us together. I feel that very clearly for myself that it was Jesus who brought me to handicapped people. And I know the day that I welcomed Raphael and Philippe, I knew and I know today that it was an irreversible act, that in welcoming Raphael and Philippe, it was a covenant that I was entering into. Quite a powerful video, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, especially that, the bit where he says, you know, about when you welcome, um, you know, the stranger. So someone, so, and he defines that more, you know, someone who is strange or different, you know, from me, that, uh, that you're welcoming Jesus. And he says it's true. <laughs> and you really have that sense that, you know, that's transferred from something that he knows in his head to something that he's really experienced um, in working with people with developmental disabilities. Obviously, he uses the word handicap there. It's quite an old video. Uh, he's now 88. Um, you would say, you know, learning disabilities or developmental disabilities. Um, that sort of real sense of something being revealed to him, which was not possible to be revealed just through knowing it, you know, reading that, you know, what Jesus says, you know, in the Bible, when I 
when I welcome these people and welcoming Jesus. He actually has a, a clearly to me, I think, from reading about him and seeing those um, those videos in which he talks about hum- what it means to be a human being and the experiences that he's had living in these communities. He knows it um, in his gut, in his soul, <laughs> in his whole in his whole person. Went off script there, so I just need to check that I'm not going to repeat what I just said. Oh, yes. So, what uh, Jean Vanier, I think, learnt through living with people whose minds were different, however we want to, uh, you know, articulate that. Um, he thought, in a, in a way, he was right, that as a good, you know, loving Christian man... Um, he was helping them. Um, because he, you know, we're taught, aren't we, that we are the ones who are normal. We have the normal minds and the, you know, um, up to a point. Um, and therefore, we are the ones who help the ones who are not normal in, ever, in whichever way we deem them not to be normal. He thought he was helping them. And he found it to be the other way around most deeply. He was helping them, but actually the most significant interaction there was them helping him. In them, he received something of who God was, saw something of God in those people, something that he wouldn't have seen had those been people that he did not interact with. That in fact, to exclude and diminish the humanity, to think of as less uh, those people who have different minds, would be both to diminish his experience of God, to make his image of God smaller, And also, um, that human experience um, to not uh, not be able to recognize that actually the people who he thought he was helping and who were helping him had a significant part to play in the whole human endeavor, human community together. Not so very long ago... Um, We used to put people who had mental health issues or disabilities away. It's not so very long ago that we did that. Normally kind of literally outside the village. Because we didn't want to suffer them. And what we didn't realize that we were doing in doing that is that we grew this smaller, the opposite way, understanding of what it is to be human and what it means to be made in the image of God. Because actually that idea of the image of God is so much more than that we can think rationally. I mean, that's a gift. I don't want to... (laughs) you know, dismiss that. That's a gift to be able to think and reflect. 
But being made in the image of God, I think, has something much more to do with living in in social interaction and in community with one another. Because God himself is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the essence of who God is. And so us living in community together, learning from one another, learning something about God that you know and that I can only know through you because you're understanding of God will always be slightly different to mine. And if we put people away who are different, um, then we quite literally will just have simply fewer examples among us to learn from about what, uh, what it looks like. And the danger is we begin to tell ourselves that normal human beings come within a particular spectrum and which we are thankfully bang in the middle of. Phew, good for us. And if we think that this type of thinking is so very far away, we need only to look at the contemporary conversation going on uh, particularly about Down syndrome. I mean, did, did people see the documentary uh, recently, this week? Sally Phillips, uh, who has a son with Down syndrome, uh, did a documentary, which I really recommend going to iPlayer and uh, looking at watching if you haven't. It's this conversation about um, rates of termination in pregnancies. Um, when people discover the baby has Down syndrome. There's a real potential into the future that we won't have any more people with Down syndrome. I don't know what you think about that. It's, it's actually, it's, it's a really tough thing to have to think about. But what Sally was saying in the documentary is Down syndrome people are a type of people And she has learnt from her son things that she would not have been able to learn. Was was this not the type of child that he is? I don't want to simplify that conversation, but it's really important for us to have those conversations. Jean Vanier, in the work that he has done and the insights and wisdom that he has explodes, I think, the myth that only certain types of human beings are made in the image of God, can reflect God to others, and can be an important, significant uh, part of human community. And in fact, I think he is saying that in his own experience, the people who he has lived with, have, because of the very fact of their different minds, sometimes been more easily able to reflect something of God. Perhaps they're less defended. In the Romans passage that was read, St. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. For Paul, our minds are renewed in Christ in order to do God's will. This is the purpose of our mind as Christians. And what is God's will? As the prophet Micah says, it's to uh, love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with God. To love, to be merciful, to be fair and just, and to walk with God who helps us to do those things. In using our minds for this purpose, we will be transformed. And actually, Jean Vanier used that word, that he was transformed by those interactions he was experiencing in a community where love and mercy was kind of high on the agenda. So may we too know that firstly, we are more than our minds. But they're a, a good and significant part of us, but we are more than our minds. And that the true measure of our minds is in being those who love abundantly, uh, who care for the oppressed so that we seek justice for those who don't have a voice, and that we walk closely with God. This is truly our mind's purpose. Amen.